Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, the Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the Super Suzanne Cabral, the awesome Amedo Rosa, and the bountiful Block Party Podcast Network. Today, we have myself, Ange, along with John and Senda, and today we're going to talk about varying up your NPCs. Before we dive into that topic, though, let's ask our Get to Know a Gnome question. Since this is our first episode of 2022, I thought we could talk about our favorite session from 2021. What was your favorite single session of last year? John, I'm going to start with you. Since I know Senda hasn't figured hers out yet. It's okay. Uh, I have ideas, but you said only one, John Go. Uh, you, oh, I was supposed to be figuring it out. What? Oh, shoot. <laughs> no, no. So <laughs> I m- most of last year, I took a bit of a gaming break, and then I kind of came back to it around the end of the year. And I, I'm like, all right, I'm running one game, not like four games at once. So I'm going to put a bunch of effort into this. So my favorite session would be the beginning of that campaign that I'm working on, or that's going on right now. So. It is a Final Fantasy XIV Isekai game, where all of my players are playing themselves, pulled into the Final Fantasy XIV world, (laughs) and suddenly having to deal with like, oh, I'm in a fantasy world, and some people being like, wait, I just realized I left my partner behind, and some people being like, I don't have a partner, this is awesome, I could just dragoon, woo! And, you know, watching them do this. But what was really great was I, I kept talking to them about like various things. We did our session zero and our character creation. And then in the background in between that and our actual first session, I was sitting there compiling an intro video, like the intro cutscene to a video game, because, you know, we're emulating and modeling this video game world, even though it's not like they got pulled into the video game, they just got pulled into a fantasy world. So I'm like, all right, y'all ready to start this session? They're like, yeah, okay. And I just hit play on the laptop and on Mm -hmm. the screen for for the, the players, up comes this like, start you know and then just you know and then it shows like you go to meet your gm at a uh local coffee shop which is where (laughs) we actually met to talk about game you know you uh you know he's he's late you don't know where he's being you know and then like time freezes and these garlean like Final Fantasy Evil Empire comes in and and they start abducting people and pulling them through and they're just it was so great because there were so many little cool, like, tapping into my multimedia skills, really kind of because it bridged that gap between player and character, you know, being able to do that and pull in so many real world things and do things to make them go like, oh, I feel a little weird about this now because I really feel like I've jumped into this other world, you know, which which is one of those things we talked about to make sure everybody was on board with that level of immersion and, and you know, uh, blurring those lines. But it was great to kind of only have one game and be able to really start it off well. And at the end of that session, I said, okay, so now in traditional Japanese RPG video game style, there's your really beautifully rendered cutscene that can play on the PS1. Everything else is block pixel graphics from here on out. <laughs> That's all you got until until the the big middle boss finale and the big finale finale. You don't get cutscenes anymore. <laughs> uh. Amazing. Do you have one, Senda? Can can I pretty can I two two please? Okay, I'll just talk two. about one. I'll I'll really just talk about one. Okay, so but I, I have to like honorable mention one, right? Okay, so let me just say honorable mention 
was, it just occurred to me, I think that was 2020. So never mind. The real one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Has this all been one year or like, did we really move forward anyway? Okay. So this the is 2022. Two. <laughs> The one that comes to mind, and of course, we played it really recently, so it's fresher in my mind, which probably is influencing, you know, how much weight I'm giving it, but it was pretty amazing. Um, One of the things that my particular group tends to do when we can't get all of our players um, is that we'll play flashbacks to pre pre-campaign, whatever campaign we're in, right? And we just started, we started a Monster Hearts campaign for Halloween. <laughs> And we have managed to play two whole sessions of it since then. But that's kind of beside the point. We ended up playing, it wasn't even necessarily backstory, but it was a play to find out how a specific event happened, which is very similar to doing backstory, right? So we will frequently play actually using when Rishul's game, yes. The thing about that game that's cool, it's a fantastic game as it is, but we hack it all the time, right? Because what that particular game does is that you have a specified end point, but you don't know how you're going to get there. So it's really powerful for doing things like playing flashbacks, like um, we've used it to play like the story of my parents in a previous game. And it was amazing because she was like the pirate queen and he was a clone and whatever, you know, like, but so we got to find out all this stuff that we didn't know from session zero by backplaying things. Well, what we did this time is one of the characters in the Monster Hearts game is um, playing the ghost playbook. And we we knew that she died in her car when it like went into a lake or something, right? She drowned in her car, which is terrible. But we didn't know anything else about it. We knew that we someone was involved in it. Some of us had suspicions, you know, whatever. But we didn't know who it was. So my favorite session that we played, we were actually down two players. So we we're like, well, we can't play the main Monster Heart campaign. And as we wrapped up the session before, the gentleman who was playing the ghost was like, well, it's fine. You should figure out how I died and I don't want to know. And we were like, oh. <laughs> so we sat down, just the four of us, and we figured out how she died. And it's really exciting. So so four of us as players know the answer. I'm not sure if any of the characters actually know the answer, except for like the actual whodunit, right? But it was really great. <laughs> that is kind of awesome, though. Right. There's there's um, it's really powerful to be able to take. Uh, I mean, I really like Yes's intended purpose. So don't get me wrong. I've played it that way a lot of times and I adore that game. But it is very powerful to be able to just have a game where you can say we know the end point, because what that means is that even as you backplay, you're not messing with things that happen in the future. You're not changing or like overwriting stuff that you've already played when you slip it into the middle of a campaign that's already ongoing and stuff. It's really brilliant. And I love doing it. And like my particular group at this point, I think we've been doing it for two or three years now. Three? No, it was before the pandemic. It was like could be three or four years now. We've been using it like this, um, and it's one of my favorite things that this particular crew does. And it was a great game. It was fantastic. I can't say anything in case it gets listened to by anybody <laughs> who should not, because we have not had the big reveal yet. So I can't tell you about what actually happened. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But it was great. That is awesome. The best part about it, I will say one last thing about it. The best part about it is that there were kind of two people who were under suspicion initially of who could have done it 
And the person who ended up doing it surprised all of us. But it was amazing. Um, but it was a complete surprise. <laughs> so I can't wait. And that is now an ongoing thing that we haven't, you know, we're we're working towards how that ends up involved in the actual campaign plot. And it's so good. <laughs> that is awesome. Yes. Good. What about you, Ange? What was your favorite session? We got to play in person and we fought a dragon. Oh, man, yes. <laughs> I mean, let's let's get down to the brass tacks here, because <laughs> my regular Saturday gaming group, once Tristan was comfortable with the idea of running online, picked up with his long running D&D campaign that we've been playing for years at this point. And when we started getting towards the end of summer, we were like, what do you guys think about playing in person? I mean, we got to make sure Laura is actually in town for this, but. And so we came up with a day in early October where we got together and played in person, and it was amazing. And then we found out that Laura was going to be coming to, because Tristan is her cousin, she was going to be coming in for Thanksgiving. And we're like, what do you guys think about playing in person on the Saturday after Thanksgiving? And it turned out that that was the day, that was the session where we were going to be fighting a dragon. Yeah. So it was like, yes, <laughs> yes, we are going to play in person and we're going to fight a dragon. So Tristan not only got to use his his new house's gaming space, he got to use his giant red dragon. And we all got to play in person. We all got to use our, our custom minis that we've had made for our characters and not had a chance to play with yet. And we took down a dragon, which, you know, I mean, it's Dungeons and Dragons. But how often have you actually faced a dragon? You get the dungeons all the time. You don't get the dragons all the time. The dragons are the fine china that only get brought out for special occasions. I had a bad experience with a dragon who was invisible. So I don't know. I'm still holding that grudge. (laughs) Was the dragon like, I learned this trick from a hobbit. I don't, kind of. We like walked into a giant empty room. And it was really strange that it was a giant empty room, but there was all the sound of like rustling. And then suddenly I, a halfling, had a bunch of teeth marks in me. And oh, by the way, you're in a dragon's mouth. <laughs> I'm just still carrying that grudge in my heart. <laughs> I was dead before I could even react. He just like bit me in half. We did have the initial start of the the fight was the dragon was hiding under his horde. So we didn't know where he mm. was until he burst up out of oh. the gold and coins and treasure and all that. And then that's amazing. started kicking our ass. And those moments are great, especially if the players don't know they're facing a dragon. Like you said, you were walking in and there's a horde of coins. You probably knew, but it, we it's- knew we were, uh, it was kind of convoluted backstory. My character is a runaway princess has a strained relationship with her father and they accidentally ended up back in her her home territory and she came face to face with her father and I had this whole speech prepared that she was going to give proclaiming her independence and she is not his pawn and all that and instead he basically very quietly asked I know you and your friends are competent we can forget about this whole arranged marriage thing if you and your friends go take care of this dragon. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, so, and so she got to go kill a dragon, did not have to marry some old dude. I mean, that seems like a good trade-off. She wasn't going to marry the old dude anyway, but... No. Cool. cool. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move into our main topic. 
So GMs have a lot on their plate when running the game, and part of that is bringing all of the non-player characters to life for their players. Some GMs are great at this without even trying, but others struggle a bit, and many of their NPCs can start blurring together and feel the same, and it's something you need to be aware of and careful of as a GM, so we thought we'd come together and share some of our tips and tricks for bringing a little variety to the NPCs that our players encounter in our games. So. John, what are your thoughts on this topic? <laughs> so I'm gonna throw it directly at you first. Uh, that, that, that's fine. Um, I'm used to game things thrown at me, uh, usually because I deserve <laughs> it. <laughs> um, no, so I, I ha- have become very much. I, I always have been a very like show don't tell GM. I like to use things that kind of trigger the tapes that people have in their head. These sort of like inbuilt. Oh, I will react to this because I've just been trained to react to this sort of thing. So I I am always looking for interesting little psychological tricks I can do to make it easier and get people, you know, on board with these ideas. So, you know, one of the things that I've I've done recently and that I really like, and I don't think I'm ever going to not do is if you're familiar with the, with the video game style of visual novels or visual romance novel sorts of things, you have like, characters that show up and there's a background and you know you have maybe three or four poses i have started doing that for all my games with like oh i'll go to hero forge i will make all the npcs or i will download things or or like you know like i talked about my current game it's running you know final fantasy 14 so i'll just go in the game and screenshot different npcs and you know cut them out and then i will put them in this powerpoint on top of a background so that whenever there's a conversation going on between you know the players and these one or two npcs the npcs visually are there in a way that looks like they're they're standing in the same sort of oh yeah it feels like there's five people standing in a room having a conversation like i try to emulate that as much so that then when i get into the like you know radis voice of like what are you chuckleheads doing why are you doing that you know or pull like the moon dog like eh. Uh, I'm too old for this shit. Why am I doing that? You know, like I, I you know, be, being an old man, I tend to go for old man voices anymore. Like it's, it's, a, it's an easy reach, low hanging fruit and my back just ain't what it used to be. You know, uh, so, you know, when my NPCs tend to be cut from the same sort of cloth, that little visual distinction makes it so that the, the players kind of glom onto, oh, yeah, it's it's an old gruff voice, you know. But I can see this physical representation, even though it's just a 2D cutout. And then, of course, when I do things like, you know, oh, yes, please, thank you for helping. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not great at doing <laughs> the, the woman's voice, you know. Like, if, if I can't get my brain into the place or like, ah, yes, how do you know, like, get get it there where I feel like it's conveying that without kind of being stereotypical or, or you know, farcical. Often I don't try to reach for those things where I'm like, I know my voice cracks at a certain range. I cannot get up to there. <laughs> but so I'll just be like, ah, hey, what, what, well, did you all manage to go get that treasure I sent you after? Because I, I have suppliers who need this. You know, I won't try to reach that far with my voice because I know that's not my strength. But there's an image of, of this, you know, woman who sent them on this quest who has her, you know, mechanist shop, you know, all behind her. And so there are all these little like things they can visually grab and incorporate to make up for my lack of voice actor training, you know, style of, you know, conveying those things. I I do think that when you have a named NPC that you know you're going to be bringing into play, having an image for that NPC helps the players differentiate that NPC and also helps you as the GM 
know what you're getting into. You know, it can, it, you know, whether it's like you said, that little bit of voice difference, you know, little bit of behavioral difference. I have a picture of Kate McKinnon in her Ghostbuster mad scientist look that I use in one of my Tales from the Loop game. I just put that picture down and immediately everyone gets the vibe I'm going for mm -hmm. with that NPC. You know, it, it's, you can, that can help immensely. So I think it's, it's really interesting um, because I polished a lot of my GMing chops doing live audio podcasting <laughs> for people to listen to what, what? I was doing. Right. So it it is really interesting because wait, I wait, you weren't an expert GM when you went into running that podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. No. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty comfortable with all my stuff now. So but it does mean that I think for me personally, a lot of my focus for differentiating characters does have to do with voice work and hand in hand with that from running con games and stuff, I think there are also things you can do with your physicality. And the reason I think that my particular focus tends to fall sort of in those present moment things, and I think we've probably talked on this show before, is that um, I tend to consider myself more of an improv GM, more of a reactive GM, in that the chances that I actually planned an NPC to that level before <laughs> I sat down at the table are pretty much zilch, right? I've just come up with an NPC because I needed them. So there's there's kind of a couple of tricks that go with that for me, right? Firstly, it doesn't take a ton of shifts, right? Like you you don't have to you don't have to do the full like high like <laughs> women's voice. Although like I have a pretty famous set of nutcrackers who have a terrible <laughs> French accent and speak like squeaky chipmunks. So like it happens sometimes, right? But well, can I throw in here just yeah. real quick? Voice work doesn't all have to be accents. It can be the way somebody talks. Well, that's exactly if, it. Yeah. If you have somebody who's highly educated, they're not going to use, con you know, they may not use contractions. They're not going to use slang. You can basically pull out all of your 25 cent words from whatever your brain thesaurus can give you versus the person who may not have, you know, may have the same accent, but they're going to speak all the slang. They're going to, you know, like have all the contractions. You know, like you can throw in verbal tics that way too, without having to reach for an accent that you may not be able to maintain. Or I'm. Let's be clear. I'm terrible at maintaining actual accents, and I don't <laughs> usually try to do it for long periods of time because it's a bad idea. And there's recorded evidence of why this is my decision. Right? Wait, wasn't that character Scottish last time? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> move through like scottish to like serbian and sometimes russian and then like back and it's like, it doesn't stick right and that's okay because you can change things even without changing anything about how you say words you can even just change things about the position that you hold your mouth in or you can raise or lower the tone of your voice just like slightly right not so that it's uncomfortable but so that it's slightly different from your normal voice and that is enough of a key for us to usually pick up on and especially when you start mixing that with things like, um, you know, physical positions, like if I'm, you know, slouchy or like wiggly or something like that ends up being a different character than someone who might be sitting, you know, really straight and rigid and always has, you know, their hands together, whatever it is. So I think there are visual cues that you can key in on some of the same assumptions that John is using with the pictures 
when you didn't mm-hmm. plan in advance enough <laughs> to have pictures because you didn't know that that NPC was going to exist. <laughs> so bold of you to assume I plan in advance. <laughs> bold of you to assume I'm not just on a Google search being like, give me 20 seconds, right click, save as. Okay, here's the, here's the image. Well, this look is at you with you your, you've got your tech set up, right? Like, oh, so yeah. you can do that. Um, the other thing that I was going to say, and this is just a thing, is I think it's really key when you're coming up with an NPC, whether it's on the spot or whether it's, you know, something that you're actually planning in advance to know like one defining trait about how they mm-hmm. act, at least one more is better, right? If like three is great, but like, as long as you have one, then you have something that you can latch on to because one trait gives me something to base a voice or a physicality around, right? Or a nervous fidget or whatever that is, right? Because if I say that someone is, for example, nervous, then that's a very different portrayal than someone who is confident. And that changes not only how I nest, like hold my actual physicality for that moment or that scene, that also changes how I speak because nervous versus confident speech without changing my voice at all or doing anything weird, a nervous person is going to sound different than a confident person. Yes. I am currently using my confident voice because we are podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> but if I were to use my nervous voice, you would notice the difference because there would be like quieter and be a lot of um and maybe and a lot more like filler like words because maybe I haven't thought about all the things that I um, I'm not sure about yet. Right. Like, so like there's weird little things you can change that that don't require you to be a voice actor or to have been a theater major like me. That's fine. <laughs> but, but you know that that setting traits and understanding even the most minimal details is, is almost the most important part of that thing. Because, yeah. it, you know, for me, and I say this because I'm not a great voice actor or theater person, I don't find it as important to convey it well, but to consistently do it. I have an Excel spreadsheet or a word template that I have for like all my NPCs, even the ones I come up on the fly, like, oh, this one's named... Alessa, okay, uh, what is she? Uh, and then in the, in the moment, I'm like, the, 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 like, she's gruff, she's bitter, you know, so then I write down gruff and bitter, and then I do that, you know, that, and so that the next time I can be like, all right, she's gruff and bitter, and now that I've kind of sparked that and I'm looking at that the next time I do it, like, all right, what was her gruff and bitter voice? It may be a different, eh, I don't really care, come on, like, just give me, give me the stuff, like, no, no bullshit today, you know, but like, I get back into that place a little bit more compared to you know when i forget to do that which is often and write down those traits you know and they're like oh yeah we we go back to that uh that that junk seller that we talked to with the mechanic shop like uh what was what was her name alessa right hello how are you today what's (laughs) what's going on you you seem happy today shit right um (laughs) oh yeah i just got you know i got a great thing i'm (sighs) just feeling good are you I don't know what you're talking. Shit, I have to cover that. You know, like you, you have to kind of cover up for that when you're like, ah, I wasn't consistent with this. And and so defining those things, like I always have, like, what does their voice sound like? What's their personality trait? What's their motivation? Like three or four categories of whatever's important to that game that I just jot those things down, and then I almost have my chart of NPCs so I can get in the ballpark. At you're, least you're, you're so organized, John. I'm like consistently <laughs> impressed. I'm I'm organized after the fact the way I talk about it. Like it it becomes a template after I'm like, oh, write it down on this note card that I set aside and then I go back and make it a template. But yeah, 
I aim for the organization. I don't often chip. <laughs> strive, strive for it. Well, so there was a tool that I was actually going to mention. Like there's a lot of ways to deal with like traits and stuff. There's a tool that I was going to mention because um, I've used them in several games and they're really, really handy. There's a deck of cards called Short Order Heroes. And it's literally just a deck of like descriptors, right? So you could draw a card that said nervous. You could draw a card that said like, foolhardy you could draw a card that said like i i don't know what else i'm only thinking of things disposable. like anxiety disposable <laughs> yeah because that one came up for me recently it's great but like kind or like sweet or young like all sorts of descriptors some of them personality like all of that kind of stuff and you can just draw them and it will give you quick character descriptor like actual identifier ideas that may be outside of the ones that you tend to default to. Cause I know like John, you were saying that you tend to have old men, right? Like grumpy old men voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I'm fine. I, what like, of it? I like, I know that I have a number of stereotypical characters that I just do too. But like when you're drawing a card or if you make a random table of traits that you like use a thesaurus and just dump a bunch of words mm -hmm. in, however you want to do it. If you kind of have a way to, randomize your character traits and then even when you're on the fly you can be like oh quick three traits okay this person is gruff nervous and um disposable <laughs> and, and I, what I do they those, sound like <laughs> i think those are important because like you said we all have our defaults that we fall mm -hmm. into and if you have the same group of players that you've been playing with for a while they start to recognize those yes <laughs> yes. there's a there's a person i've gamed with in the past quite a bit and oh this is the young rich guy doesn't matter who this young rich guy is it's always played exactly the same it's or this is the you know arrogant older authority figure doesn't matter who they are they're always played exactly the same and players start to recognize that or as my one friend when he started gming we had to tell him, hey, hey, all of your NPCs are jerks. <laughs> None of us want to work for them. So you may want to step back and re-examine how your NPCs are interacting with the players. Right, because the players are going to go help the bad guys burn the village to the ground. Like, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. We stopped the campaign before that happened, but it was real close. <laughs> we get that they're trying to save the world, but could it be a nicer sort of person <laughs> trying to save the world? We want to work with a better class of people. <laughs> you just you just gotta like step back and like, okay, what do I default to? How do they interact with the players? Because that's ultimately like it's ultimately how these NPCs interact with the players. That's really what matters in the end. And you don't gotta put a lot into it, just enough to make them interesting. I have a question for both of you. Have either of you ever used props for reoccurring NPCs? <laughs> I have not used props, but I will say in virtual tabletops, if I have a recurring NPC, I definitely have a picture of that NPC that I share, even if it's found after the NPC is created on the fly. Um, if they're going to be a recurring one, there is a picture of them. And there's usually a token and something that can basically visually represent that character. But I haven't done, I haven't done props. 
Yeah, as far as physical props to represent the characters, not necessarily. I've done props to like set the tone of a game. Like when um when I was running a, a fiasco madman, we had an old rotary phone we, we managed to find at a goodwill that we set in the center of the table that you know people would pick up and you oh know hold it. and and you know that got people into acting out the the sort of thing you know that their character might be doing or or what was going on. But yeah at like props are a great way to define that character in a visual way, but but I fall back on the like, oh, I'll find this really awesome image and just use it because of where gaming is right now and because of what I tend to gravitate towards. I will say in some games, especially if it's a modern game, because it's right there in front of me, I will use my cell phone to indicate how that character is engaging or not engaging mm-hmm. with the PCs, but that's more of just a, you know, it was there right in front of me rather than a planned thing. Oh, they're talking to a 17-year-old girl. She's on her phone and ignoring <laughs> yeah. them, you know. As you say, since this is a podcast, you know, you've got your phone in your hands yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. it's yeah. right there in front of your face. Your fingers are moving while you're talking. Yeah, it, it adds that non-verbal personality cue. Yes. Do you use props, Senda? No, I, I'm expecting. I, I don't plan my characters in advance at all. That, that would require me to know who they were to begin with. But I've seen it done really effectively. So I wasn't sure if either of you had done it because sometimes, you know, it's, it's easy enough to be like, well, this guy always wears this hat. And like when you see the hat gesture or whatever, like that can be a cue kind of thing. But no, I, I don't plan that far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, but and, and you've been bringing up a really great point throughout this is the planned versus unplanned, mm-hmm. you know, like it, different types of campaigns, different types of, you know, narrative styles benefit from the more, you know, planning, you know, or are like, oh, no, I, there's no way I could plan because we made this setting up on the fly in the first five minutes. And it's sort of how do you reach those heights with the tools you have time to prepare? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I sometimes will, depending depending on the type of game I'm running, I will sometimes do image searches ahead of time and get pictures of characters I think might make interesting NPCs in the future without fleshing them out before they're needed. I especially do this in any science fiction game I'm running where there's aliens, because it really helps oh. to have that visual of an alien to be like, okay, I, I don't have time to print this out and present it to my players or anything like that. But I know what I'm thinking about as I'm describing this character to the players. No, that, that that's really hard when you get into aliens and things that are so just incredibly variable, like, oh yeah, you see a fantasy orc, but no, no, not like a D and D orc, like a Tolkien pig person orc that, you know, like you can get into different, like, ah, relying on the tropes, getting people to like go back on things they know, but you're like, the alien has eight arms and, uh, eye ridges and, uh, long ears. Well, is it spider like? Is it octopus like? Is it Lovecraftian? <laughs> I can't even begin to put an ear on where the, you know, and, and th- those are really hard to get people consistently thinking about what this, you know, very strange character is in those cases. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that whatever that unifying factor is that makes it go, ah, everybody sees it and then deviates rather than everybody deviates from just a pure imagination place. Yeah. I think, I think we can, I think we can start wrapping up here. Any last words on trying to vary up your NPCs? Yeah. 
I think actually the 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 thing that we've skated around a bunch and I think ends up being really maybe the key <laughs> is however you're going to do it, whether it's by using tools or doing a little bit of pre-planning, whether you actually plan or just, you know, have the the stuff available to you. I think the key is actually to kind of know that you have sources that will push you outside of your defaults, your personal defaults, because we all have personal defaults. And if we don't have anything to push us outside of those, then we're probably just going to fall back to the same ones. So yep. whether it's yeah. a short order heroes or the fact that you have a bunch of images waiting from some Google searches you did or whatever, a thesaurus lying nearby. Yeah, um, there's only so often I can use Lenny the Town Stoner as an NPC. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right? I know. It's a huge bummer, but true. Nobody liked my stoned miner. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, man, I'll totally take on those rocks for you. Like, I'll I'll, I'll dig you through. Like, God, why is he? Oh, he's stoned. <laughs> <sighs> and on that note, this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by personalities are us do you need a new personality even just to borrow for a little while come on down personalities are us where we've got the largest selection of personalities anywhere if you're enjoying the gnome cast you'll probably like many of the other misdirected mark shows here's one to check out pandas talking games phil and send answer your questions about rpgs from the perspective of one shots and campaigns with some panda silliness if you listen to it you will love it or so the rumors say you can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. John, where else can we find you on the internet? Uh, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I don't really do the social media thing much anymore, so I'm going to yeah. say if you're looking for NPCs, you could find a little book written by gnomestew authors in the past called Masks, which has about a thousand of them that you can use. So, so there is you it, go. Isn't it advertised as a thousand and one? A thousand and one, a thousand and one, right? He did I always, say about a thousand. About a thousand, yeah. yeah. I always forget. I always forget that last one NPC, <laughs> um, Rando the Unforgettable. That's the one I always forget. Uh, no, but so so in lieu of where you can find me, you could go find that and just be like, oh man, this was easy. I didn't need to listen to anything they said. I just have this book. Yeah, I mean that would be a good way to do it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is definitely a book worth looking up. Senda, what about you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. It's I-D-E-L-L-A-M-I-T-H-L-Y-N-N-D. It's still funny and I still do it. I won't lie, though. I've turned off my Twitter notifications because pandemic. So, like, I'm not going to be an immediate response person, but you can still find me there. And, of course, you can catch me on this this little podcast called Pandas Talking Games. You might have heard of it about 30 seconds ago. So that's cool. You can catch me there and you can find me on the Tiki Talkies where I spend my life now. Uh, anyway what about you angela uh you can find me on twitter and instagram as orikes13 o-r-i-k-e-s-13 but as the caveats have said twitter uh -huh. is kind of only glanced at occasionally i don't really post to it much and instagram is mostly just pictures of my cats so if you like loki and rock you can come check out my instagram but that's really what's going on over there so, do you think we avoided the stew this week, or maybe can we throw some of our NPCs in there? I've got a couple. They're nutcrackers, and they have a weird, high-pitched, bad French accent. <laughs> Let's just toss them in. No one will notice the difference, right? Just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna push them in. I'm gonna, what are you doing? Ah! 
I, 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 vote, I vote we on that one. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. There was a thing I was going to say, but I lost it. Apologies.